What's up, Fish Sauce family? It's Wilson. And Elton. And we're back with a fresh episode of Fish, Fish Sauce. Sauce. Join us on a journey into the minds of successful founders, operators, and investors. As we learn more about their secret sauce, we hope you find yours too. And in this week's episode, we will share how this guest represents our core value of skip the soy sauce. To us, skip the soy sauce means to be different, challenge everyday norms, and to do what you feel is right. Absolutely, and there's a time in everyone's life they have to think about when they need to skip the soy sauce. And it's about maybe they're on the path that everyone thinks they should be doing or they think they should be doing. But you sometimes have to take a riskier bet and take the contrarian path. And we might see this in this episode. In this episode, our guests change from finance to computer science. And sometimes all they have to do is do what feels right to them. And you don't really need to follow other people's paths to find the right steps for success. And in this episode, we feature a very special guest of ours, Preeti Cassaretti, who is extra quirky in every single way. She has definitely taken a contrarian path. She studied engineering in college, went to work in finance at Goldman, and then she found her way into Andreessen Horowitz, only to leave one of the best VCs to learn coding as a software engineer. And it's something that many of us have considered, but she actually did and stuck to her guns. Yeah, three different career switches in a matter of years. Really impressive. And now she's entered the world of blockchain. I know many of us aren't experts in this topic, especially us, but she's able to dumb it down for us and explain in this episode what exactly blockchain is. In fact, She's been so comfortable with it that she's able to start home YouTube channels around it and Medium posts. So if you really want the one-on-one, give her a follow. And how do we meet Preeti? Preeti went to school at USC with both Elton and myself, and she was actually in my engineering major. And what was really special about her wasn't the fact that she was one of the smartest people in class, but she always took a contrarian path. I always felt like she was thinking about something different. She definitely skips the soy sauce in my opinion. She recently wrote a post about leaving Silicon Valley to Los Angeles to pursue new ideas in the blockchain space. And she's also very bullish on the city. We're really excited to see what happens because LA is our home Mm -hmm. and maybe soon we'll be there too. So what's Preeti's secret sauce? Stay tuned to find out. So I've known Preeti for since freshman year of college. That's crazy. Yeah, like almost um, 10 years. It's amazing. And you look the same. So <laughs> I, I know that back in, in freshman year, I remember this, this girl is going to be doing some awesome things in the future. You have one of the most dynamic careers right after college. You first started at Goldman, right? Then you were at Andreessen. And then from Andreessen, you think you move into software engineering. To get us started, how did you make that pivot from, you know, investing in finance into software engineering? And what are you doing now with blockchain? How did I make the transition? So I kind of was there for two years and then started to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and I realized that I want to build my own company eventually and even though we were engineers in college we didn't do software engineering so I was like this is the one skill set I felt like I was missing and I got envious that these entrepreneurs can go out and build whatever they want and I felt like I I had the ability I just didn't have the skill and so I started to teach myself how to code nights and weekends. I struggled a lot, like for a good six months to a year. I just like, I kept trying and then giving up, trying and then giving up. Something didn't click for me for a long time. I remember I was getting dinner with my ex-boyfriend and I was like, God, I like really just want to learn how to code. But like, I just, I don't know how to, it just, I just keep giving up. And he was like, what are you learning? And he's like, I was like, Python. He's like, why are you learning Python? Go learn JavaScript. I went and Googled what JavaScript was the next day. And then I didn't even go to work the next day. I just like stood, stayed home and like went through like a code, code academy, 10 hour JavaScript course. And like, I don't know why, but I just became hooked. Like That's awesome. something about JavaScript really clicked for me. Cause like, I think JavaScript has this immediate feedback loop thing where you can write code 
code, HTML, CSS, and then like refresh the browser and see your results, whereas Python was more like scripting and, and like math. So it's not very tangible immediately for a builder. And so that kind of is what got me into programming, like that initial introduction to JavaScript. And then I learned other languages. I spent like six months learning on my own, did a coding bootcamp called Hack Reactor, just to accelerate my learning and like help me figure out what to learn, I think. That, that's the reason I went to Hack Reactor. And then after Hack Reactor, I did like some open source work. And then I joined Coinbase as a full-time engineer after like six months after that so yeah and then I was an engineer and it was like unbelievable that I, I remember the first day I was like freaking out because I have no idea what the role of a software engineering engineer is like I've heard about it I've coded but I didn't know what a software engineer actually does but like it turned out exactly what you expected it is you code every day you solve problems and you're fixing bugs and whatever it is rewinding back to being an engineer and then deciding to go into finance first and then going from finance to becoming an investor how did you make those decisions and how what influenced those decisions to happen when we were in school I was doing a lot of engineering internships, actually, and I thought I'd be an industrial engineer after we graduated. Yeah, I thought so, too. <laughs> <laughs> really? And you uh, went to that. Yeah, that. I did, like, I was, like, you know, I was hustling since I was, like, a freshman trying to get these internships. I thought I was going to go work for Abbott Labs or something. Yeah. I remember my friend had did a Bank of America internship as an investment banker, and he's like, you should come to this workshop. I just need to fill, fill heads. And so he's like, just come and, like, pretend you're there and just watch it. And I watched it, and I was, like, honestly fascinated by the energy in the room at this Bank of America workshop because when you're in engineering school I don't know if you remember but people are so nerdy and like they don't <laughs> we really, remember yeah, they we're don't still really, that too yeah, guys. yeah just they pretending. don't really have it's like it's kind of dead energy like they're not looking for jobs they're not competitive and like this business setting it was like super competitive and like in a good way it was like everyone's hustling and yeah. I, I, like, I don't like competition but I like hustle I like when people are like you know, just really working hard to, mm. to do something. And I felt like engineers take it kind of easy because they knew they are going to get jobs. Whereas business people, it's like super co- competitive and they don't know if they're going to get jobs. They don't even know what job they want. So I was like fascinated by that energy and I kept going to more and more of these banking uh, workshops and then eventually met someone from Goldman and he wanted me to interview for them. I did and then got the offer. So that's, I kind of knew that I was doing finance serendipitously like junior year so I didn't really that's kind of like how I just fell into it and I didn't really mm-hmm. even think about it and then my transition from that to investing was because I realized I don't want to be a banker anymore it was good in the sense that I got amazing training from Goldman because Goldman is like phenomenal at training employees I looked at people two three four years ahead of me and I was like I don't want that career like that's not who I want to be and so or what I want to do day to day so I was like I want to leave and to me venture sounded the most interesting and most like intellectually stimulating but I also was thinking actually of going back to engineering itself so that's when I left Goldman and I was actually going to go doing go to engineering at the small startup in the middle of the country I was going to do industrial engineering after Goldman Goldman. and like I got the offer and everything and then I had like cold email day 16 because I was I talked to two VCs but they were like kind of like not hiring at the time and then I emailed cold email day 16c and like someone responded and then like two months later I got an offer at uh, Andreessen Horowitz so I was like all right do I take this offer or do I go be an engineer industrial engineer and I ended up taking the offer first of all that's nuts how you did that could you share a little bit more about that email I think I'm just genuine when I email like I don't try to fake it I just try to tell what I want out of it and if they're willing to answer they will so like what I realize is now I get in a lot of emails like it's like inbound now and there are certain emails I answer right away and there's certain I ignore and it's all about how it's written and I think that's the key like put yourself in the other person's shoes and read it and 
do you think that makes the other person want to reply? Because like some people will send me emails and it'll be literally their life story and I don't want to read your life story. Like I don't have time to read 17 paragraphs. Send me something super snappy, super interesting that I want to reply to that I think I can help you with. Whereas like some people just email me and tell me their life story and I don't know what to respond. Like, okay, Mm. thanks. Are you asking for help? Like, what are you asking for, right? Mm. So we're going to fast forward to what you're doing now. Cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, blockchain. So for a lot of our listeners, it's a relatively new concept. Can you explain what it is in the simplest term? Cryptocurrency or blockchain or both? Both. Both. (laughs) Okay, so blockchain is basically a decentralized public ledger that allows you to keep track of transactions in a decentralized way. There's this whole cypherpunk movement that started in the 90s where they didn't want to trust a central party and they wanted to use cryptology and cryptography to basically autonomously man- like send money on the internet. And that's how it kind of started. That, that was like the 90s movement of the cypherpunks. And then there was multiple attempts at creating this like decentralized way of sending money. It's called consensus mechanism where you have some code that allows you to align incentives such that there's a group of people that are securing the, the, the ledger and you don't need a central party to secure and manage that ledger. There's a bunch of miners that exist and and then users can make transactions and the way those transactions are validated is these miners have to solve these hard problems to validate these transactions. So you have a group of people who are securing it and then you have people who are using it but you don't have a central party like a Bank of America or a Goldman or anyone managing it. So that's the idea and it's like the idea is like you want to give the individual freedom not to need to trust anyone else because they can just do this without any trust and then cryptocurrency is basically the that you can use this ledger to actually create financial transactions so like i can send you two bitcoin that are worth x amount and that's a currency and it's all digital definitely pretend that we're fourth graders right um and a lot of things you mentioned like we kind of googled and it kind of makes sense but you know pretend that we're like you know just first thinking about it and some people have mentioned that you know, Bitcoin is kind of like digital gold is one way to think about it, right? Like there's only so much gold in the world and the whole solving problem is kind of like mining it, like literally just looking for gold. And over time, you know, when a lot of people are searching for it and like as gold gets less, it gets more expensive. Is that one way to think about it? Or I, I guess like, like I think of it slightly differently in the sense that I think of blockchain I think blockchain is the fundamental technology that excites me. And cryptocurrency is an application on top of the blockchain. So digital currency is one application that you can build on the blockchain, but you can also do so so many other things. You can use the same ledger to build things like digital reputation points or like decentralized identity or like to like manage various things. So there's like applications that are built on the blockchain, but there's the actual blockchain technology. And so digital, digital gold is, yes, that's one application of digital currency. So it has improved out yet like i think bitcoin and cryptocurrencies right now they're all speculative they don't have real like value in the real world so they don't have any utility value they're not a medium exchange and they're not a store of value either because they're so volatile Mm -hmm. so like bitcoin is like literally a speculative currency right now got it It sounds like blockchain is the area that you're more excited about that framework right people call it a protocol a way of doing things right pardon my ignorance and um, our ignorance but maybe even just kind of simplifying that concept a little bit more i would say blockchain is the ledger Okay. So blockchain is not the protocol. The protocol is how the messages actually get sent across that blockchain. And a protocol is just basically a set of <coughs> rules. For me to send you a message, I have to do X, Y, Z. And it, for it to be valid, it has to be in this form or something. So that's the protocol. It just defines a set of rules for what makes a transaction valid or anything. With the blockchain and the underlying technology, you can build protocols on top. So one kind of protocol example is like you can have a protocol that sends that tr- does trading for you. 
like trades tokens, and there's a set of rules of how those tokens should be traded amongst people. So that's a protocol, for example. What gets you most excited about this? Like, I, and even yeah. aside from this technical part yeah. of blockchain and cryptocurrency, why is this so important? Why is everyone talking about it? Why do I see things on strictly VC and email every single day about blockchain? <laughs> I think, uh, I'll be honest, I think the hype right now is like a little bit too much. It's kind of like the AI hype <laughs> of last year. I think there's some misconception of where this is useful. I think there's some people who are literally trying to do blockchain for everything where it doesn't actually make sense, where it actually makes sense to have a centralized party. What I'm excited by is figuring out the new use cases for blockchain that haven't been figured out yet. Because what I'm seeing right now is a lot of people are taking existing stuff, like existing existing ways of doing stuff, and they're like, okay, I'm going to add this on the blockchain. Like, for example, banks are like, we're going to use a blockchain to manage our, our transactions. It's like, why, why would you use a blockchain? Why would you use a database? Like, I think I'm excited by what's actually possible that's brand new that we haven't thought about yet, like new ways of thinking and doing stuff, like new ways of managing money or new ways of managing your identity or new ways of managing your reputation online or new ways of controlling trolls online. There's like a billion use cases. Interesting. What are some of the projects you've worked on in the past around blockchain? I recently just finished up a a project called Mercury Protocol, and they're using the blockchain to build basically a social network on top. And the idea is they want to use the blockchain to align incentives between the publishers and the end users and the actual app developers. So right now, how apps work is you you see ads for stuff that advertisers pay money to see, and then Facebook make mo- makes money off that ads. And Facebook gives a lot of collects a lot of data and then sells that to the advertisers, right? So instead of collecting all that data and selling it to advertisers, what you can do with blockchain is that you can have it such that you're like, okay, so instead of this middleman existing Facebook, I'm just gonna have advertisers and users and the advertisers pay the users in these tokens to see their content and the users get paid for seeing that content so there's no middleman there and so instead of the advertisers paying facebook they're going to pay the users does that disintermediate a facebook yeah basically hmm. and that the reason you can do that is because you can you can do it on the blockchain so it all happens trustlessly without facebook there to manage all this that's what I mean when you're when I'm saying thinking of whole new use cases and just removing the middleman from these things. Wow, that, very interesting. Yeah, we we could spend all day talking about this, but <laughs> I, I I do have a question. Kind of like your your career truly is very interesting in that you're doing things that are different than other people, and you're making transitions that are not as usual as other people. Have people ever? either around you as peers or when you're a student or when you're in finance or when you're in investing, like kind of either had different opinions or judge you for making certain decisions? And did you actually care what people thought about your very contrarian way of transitioning to one career to another? (laughs) Not really. Like we were talking about before this, I've always had this personality where kind of make up my own mind of what I want to do based on what I think will make me happy or like what I think will challenge me or whatever it is. Like, I hate doing something I don't want to do for too long. And so I've always kind of chosen the path that I felt like this would make me happy or this would this would really satisfy me. I feel like this is what I want to do. And yes, it's, sometimes it's been like, why, like, why would you do that? You, you're not going to make any money doing that. Like, da, 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 da. Or you're not going to, or you're just like missing out on this really cool career path by doing that. But like, I think like, for me, it's it's more important, especially at this age. The reason I've been experimenting at this age is because, like, I feel like this is the age to experiment and then, like, really figure out what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you like, what you don't like. And if you can't do that if you're just sitting in one job for, like, seven years. Whereas, like, if I have the chance to experiment and, like, try a lot of things, I'll know what I'm good at, what I'm bad at what I like, what I don't like. And then now I've kind of figured out, okay, like I want to stay in blockchain, for example. I wouldn't have been able to figure that out if I stayed at 
banking. Like maybe I would have, I don't know, but like I, I only figured that out because I tried a bunch of stuff and some I liked, some I didn't, and I ended up like just falling in love with blockchain stuff. Now I can actually go forward and like focus a little bit more on blockchain. Is this something that's pretty specific or can every millennial think the same way you did? And they just want to work at a place and, you know, and, and, and because they feel like it. And once they don't feel like it, they, could, they should just move on to the next thing. Or should they put their time in and be that analyst for a yeah. couple of years? Yeah. Like, is this something pretty specific or can everyone do? <laughs> so like, I mean, it's not like I just decide to hop to the next thing and it just magically happens. Like... These decisions happen over months and years of me thinking through them. It, on the surface, it looks like, oh, she just like decided to do it and she just made it happen. But like, it's like I've actually meticulously thought through this decision of how I would do it, whether I think I can do it. And like, I've kind of maybe even experimented with early, like when I was at A16Z and when I decided to go coding, for example, I spent six months figuring out if I liked coding, right? Like I didn't just like one day magically come to work and be like, all right, I'm just going to code. So I think anyone can do it if they plan it and if they work really hard I don't really believe that I'm like specially talented I think the only advantage I have over anyone else is that like I'm disciplined and that's it what are those check boxes that go on in your mind when you're kind of thinking about making one switch to another I think the most important thing is whether I'm interested in it because I'm very very passion driven worker and like as soon as like I lose interest or like it's not really what I want to do then I won't work hard to do it so like I want to make sure like you know, like, I'm going to be driven to do, do this. I love that term, passion-driven worker. It's like a mission-driven company, but for the individual. <laughs> so we're going to switch gears and talk more about your upbringing and the community you grew up in. So do you mind describing where you grew up and what your family was like and what community you grew up in? I mean, I had a weird upbringing. I kind of grew up in a lot of different places. I was born in Connecticut. Then I actually lived in India for four years when I was four to eight. And I think that really formed who I am today. It was just me and my little sister who was one year old at the time. My mom just like dropped us there with my aunt. And she was like, we wanted to go to med school. So she wanted us to just like take care of ourselves for a little bit while she went to med school. And so we obviously no aunt wants to take care of other other children for like long too long so we would hop around from different aunts and uncles every like six months and I think that really defined who I am today because it may force me to be independent ever since I was four like I had to take care I have to like be with my little sister and like figure myself out and like no one really I didn't really have parents when I was four to eight right like yeah they would call me once a week but like I just kind of figured life out on my own and I would just like go meet servants and play with servants and, and like learn from them or like meet like random people and learn from them meet neighbors and learn from them and by the time I was eight years old I was like living in the body of like you know 14 15 year old because like I just I've been through a lot in that four years just like meeting people on my own. Then I came back to the U.S. and I went to, I started third grade in New Jersey. So I lived in New Jersey ever since third grade all the way up until high school. Moved a bunch, but same state around the same area. Was it a culture shock? I loved India. So like it was a culture shock in the beginning, but I quickly acclimated because I was young. I was eight years old. So like for me, it was yeah, it was easy to just, like, start to make friends. And, like, whereas, like, maybe if, you, if I came in high school, it would have been a lot harder. Because I came in third grade. I was, like, I just kind of, like, started making friends and whatever. So it was okay. And my parents were here. So, like, it's not like I my parents immigrated too, right? They, they've been here for 15 years. So, like, it was just, like, starting again. Pause, like, play kind of thing. So I was lived in New Jersey. And then it was, like, you know, a small, boring town. Like, nothing to do. And people not very ambitious like a lot of I remember I was in high school when we had a map of where everyone's going to college and it was like everyone's going to like Rutgers or like 
state schools and like I was the only dot in like California like I was the only one that came out out here like no one decided to like leave New Jersey or like New York and I was like what the fuck like I would just stay here like go explore and like do something so I kind of came from that kind of upbringing where like no people don't take risks or they love discomfortable mm-hmm. lives and I knew I didn't belong there like ever since I was in middle school or high school like I just like this is not my place and so I knew that like for some reason I had this gut feeling I would love California and when I visited the USC campus I just like fell in love I was like this is where I'm going <laughs> even though I was paying for my own college and it was a worse decision because like USC costs so much I mean it was a good decision but like at, in hindsight it was like why the fuck would I choose yeah. USC like when it costs 52 grand what did your parents think did your parents factor into your college decision making process or did no, you just I, I mean like this is the thing, like, I, I'm always so stubborn. Like, I want to make my own decisions. And so, of course, my mom wanted me to go to NYU and stay close and stay close to the family and all that. But I had my mindset on California, and I wasn't just... And I knew I was paying for my own college. That was the other thing. It's like, hey, if, mom, if you're going to pay for my college, maybe I'll consider for you, consider your opinion, but you're not. And I, so I'm just going to decide where I want to go, right? So for me, it was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go. And she was not happy with it. She's still not happy with it, but... Were you scared? The tuition, I felt like I kind of deferred that out of my head until I graduated. I was like, I'll figure it out after I graduate. I'm just going to work really hard these four years. And hopefully that hard work will like pay off. And I could just pay that, the student loans off. But with the move, I actually wasn't. I was nervous. I was nervous. But like I knew that everyone was starting fresh. So it was like, it wasn't like I'm the only one coming to call it, like coming to LA by myself or something, right? Like, And then like, they make it so easy to get acclimated. They have all these like first week thing or like second week. So you meet a lot of people. So I wasn't, I honestly wasn't like nervous. What do your parents think now in terms of what you're doing? Blockchain is something that I'm sure your parents are learning as well or trying to ask you what you do. <laughs> yeah, they but don't know anything how, I'm doing. Yeah, what's going on in their minds now when you talk to them? They don't know anything. Um they're very traditional in their own ways and they you know like my mom wanted me to be, be a doctor and she's still upset at me that I haven't become a doctor still this moment yeah. even when you explained what you do right or she doesn't care like she doesn't even know what I like I remember when I got the offer at Coleman I called her and I was like hey mom I got the offer at Goldman," and she's like who's that and like you know just like no clue what I'm doing and I kind of just accepted it because I was like hey look like she grew up in India they grew up in India they don't really understand the western or even like the American culture of like the way we do stuff and she's so stuck in the Indian way of like you know you go to college and you get a steady job and then you get married and have kids I kind of did not follow any of that and so she like I just stopped like asking for her forgiveness or anything I just kind of do it and then if she doesn't forgive me that's fine (laughs) are you close to your family growing up and are you so close with them now and and if you don't explicitly care about what they think about your what you work on in your job is there anything that you care about in in terms of that relationship I I want to care I want to care about them caring but it's just like they're so it's hard to change someone who's who's 50 or 60 years old and like change the way they think Like, no matter what I say, there's going to be like, no, this is not the right way to do it. You should just be doing this, this, this. So in that, so that, in that sense, it's just like, it's a, it's a waste of effort and like my own mental capacity trying to change their ways of doing stuff. But I've, I try to like, besides this contention of like what I do with my life and what I'm doing with my life, like I try to still be close with them. Like I have a little brother. So like, I love my 14 year old brother. He's like, 
he's like so smart and like amazing hustler. So I love how you uh, described your brother, younger brother, as an amazing. <laughs> Look, he's hustler. 14. He's 14. And, and yeah. he's like he has a business and he's netting wow. like 3k a month off what? his business. Like true. Dude, when I was young 14, entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. When I was 14, I was I was like playing hopscotch. What about your younger sister? You yeah. said you had a younger sister as well. Yeah. So she's in. She just finished college. She just finished a coding boot camp. So she's like in that phase of like struggling to get her first job. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, when she gets her first job, it'll, it'll go a little bit smoother. But it's always that struggle when yeah. you go to boot camp, like getting a first job. So, do, do you recommend those uh, boot camps for people who are looking to make that transition or leap of faith and trying to find something alternative from what their yeah. potential corporate career is right now? I think they're a good, they're a good jump start if you want to get started. I would just say, like, I think people sometimes think, like, you go to these and you magically become a programmer. It's like, no, like, you go to these and then, like, maybe two years of, like, really, really hard work, then you, like, become really good. Like, you don't just spend two, three months and become a software engineer. All this does is open the gates for you and give you the fundamentals to just go learn on your own and become a, like, continue to become a better engineer. So as long as you have that mindset of, like, oh, yeah, three months, I'm going to be a rock star engineer. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. It's like three months is how, is, is like, your intro to programming and then you go figure it out. So of the people that have gone through the boot camps and the ones that become really successful, like what are the traits that they have or that yeah. you have that really make them that successful? And is it for everyone? Should everyone growing up become a software engineer? Because is that the language of the future? I don't think everyone growing up needs to be a software engineer. I think there's a lot about code that will get abstracted away or automated in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I do... For my own interest, like, I want to understand how everything works at a fundamental level. And, like, I had that curiosity, so that's why I became a programmer, because I was like, I want to figure this out. I want to figure out how, like, that wire works, or I want to figure out how this computer works. Like, I'm naturally very curious, so I wanted that. But, like, there's people in, you know, industries like media or real estate, like, they don't need to know this. Like, they have other skill sets that technology layers continue to get abstracted away, right? And so there's certain skill sets that I think we actually need more of, like arts and various things that, like, tech doesn't necessarily cover. So, no, not everyone needs to be a software engineer. But I think it's important to at least understand the fundamentals, even if it means like a couple month Coursera course or something. Just understand the basics because it empowers you in a lot of ways. Well, usually when we say one of this question is in hindsight, like, you know, LinkedIn looks perfectly. Everything seems to be, you know, aligned and the story seems to tell. But your LinkedIn is actually kind of crazy. <laughs> like your LinkedIn is a little bit it different. It tells an awesome story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, but it, is, it is different. And I, I think everything you do is a little bit different and it's kind of driven by your passion mindset. When is there imperfection? What do like, you mean? How like is it, it perfect? Because it seems like, you know, finance and Goldman was a perfect company. Yeah. And Reason is arguably a perfect top VC company, yeah. right? Like Hack Reactor and then blockchain and, and you know, it seems like they're one of the toughest concepts. It seems to be perfect. Are there times where you're like at a low point that people don't see behind the LinkedIn resume? Oh, yeah, um, that, that, sure. that, that, I think... I think all the perfections you see are just a result of me failing many, many times. Like, before I got that offer at Goldman, I actually got, like, seven rejections. No one knows about the rejections. Before I got the offer at Coinbase, I got, like, ten rejections, right, like, as an engineer. Like, I get rejected all the time, and I fall flat on my face all the time, but, like... I learned from each of those and and then I like continue to just get better and like keep trying. Like even I think one of the toughest times was actually these past three, four months where like I started a project and like it didn't go well and I like it was a failure for me. Like I felt like I thought I would work on this for a long time, but I had to like end it. And so like I could have like taken that as shit like I failed like but like for me it's like holy crap that was such an amazing learning experience so like how can I use that to like figure out my next thing so I have a lot of imperfections just that what you see on the outside is is the hits every time you get a rejection or you fall flat on your face like what motivates you to get back up so quickly I think I just 
believe in myself. I don't like the idea of giving up. And I think, like, only weak people give up, like, and I'm not weak. I don't know. I, I just, I can't, I can't imagine giving up. Like, that would just be so, so boring. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you just give up after you fail. Come on. I've met such successful people, and it's not because they're brilliant. It's not because they're some amazing person who was just born talented. Sure, there are people that are born talented, but the most successful people I met, it's like they failed a bajillion times and then they kept trying and trying and they made it. The way you described it, it doesn't, I don't know, do you idolize people? Like, are there, there's a really interesting thing I personally think about sometimes, like, oh, you know, certain people, like when you put them on a pedestal, it seems like you're never going to get there or like maybe overthink that, yeah. them as like a god or goddess type of feel. Yeah. Yeah, do you idolize people? Do you have any inspirations? How do you think about it? I definitely, I mean, like, I think it's a natural, I realize I think it's a natural human thing. Like you see someone and you see their strengths and you're like holy crap this person's amazing like i do this with a lot of people like i for example i'm obsessed with joe rogan i think joe rogan's fucking amazing i'm really obsessed with people like mark andreessen i think mark andreessen is like the smartest person in the world but he has a million flaws that like of course we don't see because what you see is the strengths you don't see the weaknesses because those are never portrayed those are never like they get masked by the strengths so i think the the, yeah, of course I idolize people, and I think sometimes it goes too far as well, but then you always have to realize everyone has their flaws. What's what's next for Preeti? Yeah, I've been in SF for five years, and I finally made the decision last month that I'm going to move to L- LA. I know I'm going to start a new project. I'll probably share details in the coming months, but it's going to be in the blockchain space for sure. Super excited to just go back down there and build up my network from ground up. So Elsa and I are both from LA, and when we think about jobs in tech i mean entrepreneurship a lot of people think of sf bay area again you're being different like (laughs) like why why are you going to la like everyone's going to sf why are you going to la i think a i've been here for five years so like anything i see is not going to be too new if i continue to stay here and i want to continue to challenge myself and see new things and one of the things i did this year is travel around the world and meet engineers and entrepreneurs and companies around the world and i realized I can be an engineer from anywhere. I can be an engineer from SF and I can also be an engineer from LA and doesn't matter. So that's one. Two, I think tech is going to start to make a ripple effect in LA over the next five years. You're already seeing like big companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, Netflix all build giant campuses there. Snapchat is there and like you're starting to see early stage seed companies there, seed, seed funds, and you're going to see more later stage funds. And as soon as those funds are there, then there's more capital. So startups start to get built. I see, I just see in the next five years that this is where the next hub will be. So I want to be there while it's getting established. For our last question, it's a fish sauce question. And we like to ask all our guests, what's your secret sauce? Both figuratively as well as literally. If you're talking about food in general, sure, yeah, the I mean, one food I'm obsessed with is nut butters. I literally eat a can of nut butter every two days. And so I've eaten 90 cans of nut butters in the last six months. It's is that bad. good for you? I'm obsessed with it. Well, it's all fat, and fat's not bad for you, as long as you don't have carbs. My diet is fat and protein, so no, I'm yeah, fine. We can take some notes from that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fish favorite. Uh, favorite sauce. Yeah, favorite sauce. Yeah. And then uh, figuratively, my secret sauce is, I think, my discipline. It's not really secret. It's very out there, but it's my, I think it's my core strength. And I, I think a good example of that is when you and Wilson were talking right before the episode is the running every morning at 6 a.m. and making that consistent to your schedule no matter what. I think that's true to, to, true to what you said. Even if it's not like a workout, like this morning all I did was yoga, but having that routine is very important to me because it sets me, it gets me grounded. It starts my day. And if I don't have that thing, like I feel like a little bit like lost. I feel like something is missing in my day. Maybe I'm just like addicted to it or whatever it is, but I need that 
that time to myself to just like start the day. Yeah. And you mentioned something about like um, life changes so much. Every, a lot of your yeah. routine changes so much and like something that you like to keep stable. Can yeah. You share? So like, yeah, like my life over the last two years has been like crazy because I'm like trying a lot of different things. I've, you know, changed jobs and like all this. And so I was, for example, last two months I was traveling and living out of a suitcase. So like every night I had a different place to stay basically. And the only thing that keeps me grounded in that kind of situation is like, if I have a core routine and what matters to me in life, the core things I will never give up is my health and uh, food. And so, like, for me, working out in the morning and then having consistent food makes yeah. me, like, everything else can be crazy in life, but these are the things that, like, ground me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce. If you like what you heard, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter for the latest updates and special surprises. Also, treat yourself and a friend to a Fish Sauce t-shirt from our swag store, fishsaucepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you rocking on the streets. If our mission resonates with you, please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share with your friends so we can welcome them into our Fish Sauce family. And lastly, big shout out to our awesome editor, Christian Edwards, for making us sound better than we actually are in each episode of Fish Sauce. What's, What's your secret, secret sauce? sauce?